Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. This week, Paul interviews TEDx speaker, author, and podcaster, Mark Metry. The pair discuss all things anxiety with loads of helpful tips. If you think EveryMind at Work could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. And if you found this episode valuable, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. And as ever, enjoy the show. Mark, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. It's an honor to have you on today. How are you doing? Paul, it's a, it's an honor to be here, man. I uh, I support and I appreciate all the work that you guys do at Every Mind, and it's uh it's an honor to be here, man. Thank you for giving me the space and thank you for creating this like amazing platform. No worries, no worries. I'm looking forward to this conversation because I really want to touch on your own story, which I think is really powerful, but then also talk about you know social anxiety and and also how that sort of impacts the workplace as well. So. Um, big, big question to start with. Um, tell me about your your earlier years and talk a little bit about your story up until now. Yeah, man. So, you know, for me, it's very interesting. So for me, my parents uh, actually immigrated to America from Egypt. And when they came here to America, that's when I was born. And my parents were leaving Egypt because, um, you know, they wanted better opportunities for their family. And then also, you know, we are, uh, we're like a religious minority that makes up like 5% of Egypt, Coptic Orthodox Christian. Uh, And so there's like that whole mess there. And so my parents came to America. We, when we first came, we lived in like the inner city. And so I remember us like moving around a lot. I, you know, seeing all kinds of like drugs, (laughs) crime, uh, robberies, like in front of my eyes, it's kind of crazy to think back at, um, I remember my dad was always working and, um, I think overall, like it was pretty good childhood for me though, the really interesting part that I look back on today that I'm like, wow, that really impacted me that I had no idea was there was a time, I think I was about eight or nine or 10 years old where we kind of moved from the inner city to a super small town. That's kind of outside of the city has like five, 6,000 people in there. Uh, It's a pretty affluent town. It's pretty wealthy. I remember not being wealthy, being poor. Um, And then also the interesting part too is like at this time in America, this was post 9-11. And so if you were Middle Eastern, if you were Arab or anything like that, that's really where, you know, any kind of like hate crime or racism towards Middle Easterns increased. And, And so I remember just sort of being a kid at this school and at this place, there was zero racial diversity. So I was the only person who looked different from everyone. Next thing I know, I start to experience like discrimination, bullying, abuse for like the first time in my life. And unknowingly, what kind of happened was I sort of was like a turtle who just was sucked into their shell. And like, next thing I know, I kind of went from this kid who was pretty outgoing, was pretty smart to just like getting terrible grades at school, becoming that kid that just like sat in the back of the classroom, didn't talk to anybody, didn't have any friends, wasn't a part of any extracurriculars, no sports. Uh, and that was my life. And, and to be honest with you, it's, I, don't, I barely even remember it now, to be honest with you, because it's just, it seems like a huge blur and, and it seems crazy. Um, and for me, I had no idea. I just thought like, oh, this is just my personality. This is just like who I am. I guess I'm just like, messed up or like, you know, God hates me or something. And it wasn't until I was about 18 where I go off to college and I actually realized that I kind of have social anxiety. And then what I start to do is, Hey, I'm like, Hey, let me try to be social. Let me try to challenge myself. Let me try to get outside of my comfort zone. 
And then what I noticed was that I just couldn't do it. Every time I would try to like walk up to someone, every time I try to make friends, my brain would just talk me out of it. It would just shut me down and it would be like the same exact sort of cycle. And so when I experienced that, I just became hopeless. I was like, damn, this is just going to be my life forever. You know, all these dreams that I have inside of me, if I can't talk to people, then how am I supposed to deal with this? And it really just sort of just sort of to led me down this very dark spiral in my life where like next thing I knew, my social anxiety that I always had my entire life turned into like social isolation. I stopped talking to my family, any friends that I had. Um, next thing I know, I started to deal with my emotions through food, junk food. So next thing I knew, I became like obese in a very short period of time. And then the anxiety that I always had turned into like me not being able to sleep at night. And then eventually, man, like I just got to this period where I don't know how else to describe it, but it kind of felt like my brain broke and like nothing I could do. And I was just sort of stuck in like this gray and black and white world. And then there was this period of about like three, four weeks where I was like actively suicidal, where, uh, you know, I was in Boston where I live in America. It's a very nice city, but I remember the place where I lived at the time, there was sort of a neighbor, a neighboring city next to it that let's just say isn't very nice. Um, and I basically would go for walks in like the ghetto, like in this really bad neighborhood in the middle of the night and just like hope to God that someone would walk up to me and try to kill me and like mug me because I was just in so much pain. I had no idea what to do. And that just seemed like the next logical step. Um, and so, I mean, there were a few things from there that sort of slowly, slowly began to change my mindset. Um, and then ever since kind of then in, in 2015, when I was 18, it was just like this brutal, gradual, step-by-step uh, -step process, week by week, month by month of me, like slowly starting to learn like what mental health really is, starting to understand like what I could control, what I can't control, what I could take action on, what I, what I couldn't sort of control. And so, and so, yeah, man, I mean, ever since then, like through that process of like years and years of, you know, rebuilt myself in the process, like I've, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur my entire life. And so I've always been doing the online business stuff. I started a podcast throughout that period, started different things. And so, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time for sure. But that's kind of what led me to doing everything and like what completely caused my entire life to shift, I think now for the better, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, personal experience is something that I massively believe in. And, you know, more people like you that are out there sharing your own journeys are, is, is hugely important. And, and yeah, I think, you know, you. you kind of downplayed your, what you're up to now, right? Ted Talk, you know, wrote a book, you've got, you know, a top hundred podcast, you know, you're, you're kind of doing some amazing stuff. And I think, you know, what I really want to dive into in this episode is, as you said, you know, those day by days, week by week, month by month, you know, what does that, what does that look like? And if someone's struggling with social anxiety, what can they do to help that too? But, but before I, you know, before we go there, you, you know, I think that shows the real impact of bullying and discrimination, right? You know, how that bullying and that discrimination led to that position that you was in. The question that I want to ask you is, did you know that was the root reason or the root cause of, the obesity and everything else at that point? Or do you think just reflecting back, you realize that now? Yeah, dude, I, I honestly had no idea. And, and like, to be honest with you, I, like if you asked me when I was 18, I was like, hey, Mark, have you ever experienced racism or discrimination or bullying? I would be like, no. Mm -hmm. And like the reason why is because a lot of the times 
um, like, I don't know if, you, if, I don't know if you can relate, but I, what I've seen is that a lot of people who like, especially as a kid, you know, go through different experiences and have anxiety or depression. A lot of the times, like there's memory loss from like disassociation from you not being alive in the present moment. And like your brain has to cope by disassociating you. Um, and then I think too, like, I just had no idea. Cause a lot of times like you experience a problem and especially as a kid and you're like, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody about that. Or like, oh, that's not a big deal. Or like you tell someone and they're like, oh, whatever, the same thing happened to me. You know, and they sort of like, um, you know, discredit it or, or sort of don't take it honestly. And so honestly, if you had asked me, I had no idea. And like, really for me, I had to go through like a process of like, literally like, like going down, like in the layers of my mind and trying to understand my past because I, I'm more aware of my past now. But at that time, and even still sometimes today, like I don't even remember my past and it's, uh, it's kind of strange. Um, but like, for example, one of the things that made me realize it was uh, on one of the nights where I was kind of like going for walks in these dangerous neighborhoods. I remember there was this one night where I was walking around and I was sort of looking down and I was walking and I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't listening to anything. So there were like no distractions. There was nobody in the street. There were no cars. And it was this kind of silence where it almost kind of felt like somebody hit the mute button. Like as if like you were on a TV show and someone hit the mute button. And I remember when I sort of understood that when I experienced it, I remember all of a sudden like looking up and I remember kind of looking around and I remember being on top of this bridge where it was one of those highway bridges. I'm not sure if you guys have that in the UK, but there's like these like huge interstate highways in America. And there's like these bridges where you can walk across them. And if you look down, you see like this like eight lane, you know, seven, six lane, huge highway. And I remember being right there and looking up and just like seeing no cars. And it was like such a, a weird, surreal moment that, um, you know, I still sort of have trouble describing now. But I remember when I heard that level of silence, oh, shit, sorry, my apologies. Um, sorry. Um, when I heard that level of silence, all of a sudden, it almost kind of felt like I had reached a level of um, like no noise, no distractions in my brain. So all of a sudden, like, I feel like I started to listen to what my mind was saying. And I, it's not like I heard like any audible voice or like anything like that. But all of a sudden, like I started to like see my thoughts for the first time, if that makes sense. And I remember my thoughts. I don't exactly remember what they were, but I remember that it was something like, oh, you suck or like you're not you're not worthy to be alive. You have no value. You're not you're not a you're not a positive force on the world. And I remember when I had that moment of awareness, I was like, like, wait, who the hell said that? Because like, again, even though I faced anxiety, even though I didn't have the highest self-esteem or the best confidence, I still think I was like always a friend to myself. And I think that's like one of the things that when I look back on, I'm like, wow, that actually really saved my life. And so all of a sudden, when I started to see my brain giving me this very negative thoughts, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, like, where's this coming from? This is not me. And so I remember ever since then, like in that moment on the bridge, that was almost like, I almost kind of like, um, almost like realized what I was doing. I was like, wait, I'm like in the middle of this neighborhood at 2 a.m. trying to get someone to kill me. Because a lot of the times, like what I've realized is that when you're at rock bottom, you don't really know that you're at rock bottom. There's this quote that says, you can't see the picture when you're the one in the frame. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, all of a sudden I was just like, wait, what the hell am I doing? And I remember just like running home and like that being like a very, 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 very small sort of like trigger to then me eventually realizing that like, I have all this crap in my mind. I have all these thoughts in my mind that aren't even mine. And what I realized is that um, if you get told the same things when you're younger by people who love you, people who don't love you, um, or you get told anything that makes you question the belief that makes you betray yourself, your brain thinks that's like super important information and it internalizes it. And then it repeats it in your own voice. And so when I was suicidal, that was like the, the smallest hint of like awareness that I had of like, oh, when was the last time I heard those thoughts? Oh, that was when I was facing discrimination and bullying way back in the day. And so that made me be like, oh, wow, maybe like I, I don't have all the answers. Maybe there's like a lot more that I need to learn about the mind, about like mental health, about what the hell is even happening? Because like clearly I'm not doing something right if I'm in this position. And so that was like the first part that started to get me to realize like, oh, maybe my past has something to do with the present moment. Um, but it was very, very difficult to like figure out and through the course of years, you know, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, no, I, I asked that question because, you know, people are always looking for, you know, the tools or what can I do or how do I get over this? But, you know, for me, the first step is that awareness piece, right? You know, it's the same way when I share my story and I say, look, you know, I went to see, you went to see a therapist because, because of this reason and this reason and all of that. And I look back on those moments. I didn't know those reasons back then. You know, it's, it's fine to yeah. know those reasons when you reflect and you say, okay, yeah, this is why I went there and this is what I was doing and this is why that was there. But that's purely on a reflection. Um, yeah. If you don't have the awareness, like you said at the beginning, to know that you're struggling or to know the reasons why you're struggling, it becomes very difficult to have those tools to be able to manage them, right? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, moving on from that, you know, once you had that awareness and you spoke about, which I really like the days, the weeks, the months, the years, because it's a journey, right? But, you know, what, what have you done along that journey and, and kind of what have you faced to help you with that social anxiety? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I say that because like, I feel like a lot of the times people who may be in this position or, or haven't been in this position, um, you know, a lot of the times I feel like they're like expecting for like something out of like a movie to happen, like some super dramatic, like all of a sudden, like God comes down from the clouds. Like that's usually not how it works, right? Like, like you said, it takes a reflection after to then be able to sort of like piece it together. So I remember when I, like literally that same night when I came running home, I was like crying too. And I was in college at the time. And so I remember like literally running back to like my college dorm room. And I remember I had like this shared bathroom and I remember going there. And I remember there was like this like huge mirror on the wall. And I remember like standing in front of the mirror and just sort of like making direct eye contact with myself, almost in a way of just like, you know, like what the hell is happening? Like, like clearly like having no idea, trying to get that awareness, trying to make sense of things. And I remember when I was doing that, all of a sudden I, I was like, Hmm, my, my pants seem very tight. And I remember like trying to like stick my fingers down my pants. And and I remember like around my waist and it was just very, very tight. And I was like, wait, I don't remember. And they were jeans. And I was like, wait, I don't remember buying skinny jeans. And then all of a sudden, like I realized that, oh my God, Mark, over like the last two months, you just gained like 80 pounds. 
And like, that was the moment where like, I really started to like snap out of my trance. And, and at that time I had no idea what mental health was. I had no idea. Um, like really about like the whole thoughts thing. I was just trying to figure it out. And so for me, when I realized that I was like, Oh my God, like, look at how my physical body has changed. And so that was the first thing that I tackled. I was like, again, I didn't know anything about my, uh, you know, mental health or anything like that. So I was just like, Hey, I'm overweight. What do I need to do to lose weight? And I remember it was like at the end of the school semester. And so we had the summer, I moved back in with my parents and I just like, instead of spending that summer, what I normally did, which was just like play video games, and like drink alcohol and smoke weed with my friends and just don't really do anything. What I started doing was I just started to let myself learn. And I started to be like, Hey, if there's any level of curiosity, anything I want to learn about, I started to watch YouTube videos. I started to watch Ted talks. I started to like read books. And then I started to be like, Hey, how am I going to lose weight? And so I remember like looking up all these different kinds of diets and trying to learn more about nutrition. And then I came across, um, like this concept called uh, nutritional psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And basically I started to come across on how like previously up to that moment, my entire understanding of food was, Hey, you eat when you get hungry. And then if you eat too much food, don't do that because then you're going to gain weight and you'll, and you'll be fat or whatever. And then people won't like you. That was my only understanding of like food and weight back then. It really wasn't until I started to understand like how, different parts of our body and our brain process our food to regenerate them from like your brain to your neurotransmitters to your gut microbiome. And I started to learn on how like, oh, food, it's not just about your calories or it's not just about the macronutrients. Oh, like this stuff goes to rebuild your brain. And there's actually different ways that you can do that to increase your amount of energy. And so like being someone who never really played sports, was never physically active, that was never a motivating factor for me at all. For me, it was a motivating factor of like starting to understand like, hey, if you eat a crap diet, your focus is going to be out of whack. You're not going to have mental energy. And I've always had those issues my entire life. And so all of a sudden, like I started to shift my diet around. And next thing I knew, um, I went through this process where I not only lost all the weight, but I honestly don't really care about that. For me, I reached this moment where I literally felt like my brain turned on for the first time in my life. And like all that I had changed was literally just my diet and my nutrition. And, you know, one thing that I can say, if possible, that I think it's really, really important is that. Um, so I know like in the UK, in the EU, the European Union, um, they have banned hundreds and hundreds of different chemicals, preservatives that in America are in every single grocery store mm -hmm. that have, you know, depending on the ingredient, depending on the person, depending on their immune system, their gut microbiome could cause a wide variety of issues. And so I grew up as this kid in America, literally every single day eating junk food, never ate like a whole food in my life, always like eating junk food, sugar. That was that's like the American standard diet, basically. But anyway, I started to like learn the power of food. And I started to realize like, oh, there's all these different companies in different countries that have straight up banned certain ingredients because of their effects on human behavior that we may or may not even fully understand. And so like that for me was a huge mindset shift because I was like, I got to pay more attention to what I eat and not from the perspective of, oh, my weight or people think I'm fat. No, no. From literally just 
my mental, emotional performance. And so once I did that, man, then next thing I knew, I just like, all of a sudden I started exercising all of a sudden, you know, I always had sleep problems throughout my entire life. All of a sudden I started to work on my sleep. I started to sleep well for the first time. All of a sudden I started to learn how to meditate. I started to learn all these different habits, but for me, like one of the biggest uh, starts to my journey was looking at the food that I ate, which I sort of stumbled on by accident, but I'm really glad that I came across it because I think it's something that really helped like my brain and my biochemistry just establish like some sort of a foundation for them to me start to build habits and just focus on like the most basic things, which I mean, I don't know about you, but I personally was never taught about the impacts of any of this stuff or on mental health at all. And so it was like very illuminating to realize this and realize how like your choices with a fork, whether you know it or whether you don't know it or you have access or you don't have access, it's not just about your waistline. It's also about like the state of your brain, which nobody ever taught me. So it's very interesting. It's really interesting. And there's, there's a lot more research now into gut health links to mental health. And, and mm. I also like, you know, your, your personal story there of, you know, awareness, education, like, you know, because as you say, we don't necessarily get educated on, on mental health or nutrition or finances or anything that, that <laughs> meaningful, right? Um, <laughs> we don't get educated on hardly anything. Um, but, but, you know, so, you know, going down that sort of, you know, journey of you educating yourself. And then I think what's a really interesting point in your journey is then you found like the ones, the one thing, right? I think so many people sort of go down that rabbit hole of Googling or searching for YouTube videos. And, and then, and then they're kind of, I don't know where to start. It becomes overwhelming. Yeah. They fall back into that habit where for you, by the sounds of it, that nutrition part was really key. And then when you got that down, it was like, okay, exercise, okay, meditation, and then everything else sort of on top of that. Um, you know, can you share a couple of bits? Cause just cause I'm interested yeah. on, on the nutrition side, what was the key things for you there? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things was, um, understanding that, uh, like you have to eat more dietary fat. Um, so obviously, you know, I don't, I don't believe that there's a universal healthy diet for everybody. I think everybody's different. Um, but I think again, again, I'm not sure if it's the same way in Europe, but in the, in the U S now it's starting to be reversed because people are starting to understand, but before everything was fat free, everything had no fat. Everyone was told, Hey, if you eat something that's that has fat, even healthy fat, yeah. Um, then you're going to die and, and, you know, all this stuff. And then in turn companies remove the fat and just add sugar and add chemicals, <laughs> which then really hurts your mental health. Um, and so for me, literally just starting to eat like sources of dietary fat for the first time were, were huge. So like eating different kinds of fish, avocados, nuts, eggs, um, even things like oysters, beef liver, understanding the power of like certain nutrients and compounds that your brain needs. Uh, that was huge. And then the other part too, um, and, and I, re I recommend this too, in terms of like social anxiety is like really just trying to learn more about your gut microbiome. And I know it's very complicated. There's so many different levers. It's, it's always changing. Um, but one of the biggest reasons why I'm sure, you know, is because, um, you know, it's not hundred percent, but scientists basically think that a lot of the factors that go into influencing how our like brain processes and goes through a specific neurotransmitter called serotonin that has, that does a lot of different things in your body from regulating your mood to regulating your, your appetite to your sleep um, to even like some social attributes as well. And so a lot of the times with social anxiety, there's like a huge um, issue when it comes to like serotonin 
And a lot of the times, like, uh, I think it's something like 80, 85, 90% of like the indirect data that your brain uses to generate serotonin comes from your gut microbiome and the nerves that connect from your gut to your brain. Um, mm. And so there's all different levels to that. But aside from like nutrition and, and eating more fat, of course, make sure you eat like vegetables, eat green things too. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that when you actually eat and you digest, you have to be in the present moment. And mm. I know for me, like I never really did like drugs or alcohol growing up. And so for me, like my vice was either like video games or food. And so I would remember that as a kid, I would, if I was depressed, if I was anxious, if I was whatever, you know, I'd go down to the fast food place and I'd buy this stuff. I'd buy these bags of candy and then I would get home and I would just like eat, 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 just to sort of like numb my emotions and my feelings away. And like, they've actually done studies and, and anybody who has like any sort of a, like a digestive health issue, they now are starting to understand that like the state of your mind when you eat is actually very, very important. Because if you're sort of like in this automatic, like stress, like, hey, just give me the food so I can scarf it down my mouth and not really be there mindfully and just sort of use it as a drug, that heavily impacts like your digestion and heavily impacts your gut. And so um, like a lot of different traditions, a lot of different religions, they also, they're like, hey, before you eat, make sure to give thanks or pray. And like, it turns out there's kind of a reason for that. And it's because like people have known, like whenever you eat, you have to relax your entire body down, you know? And so aside from like nutrition, eating the healthy fats, eating the right kinds of fiber, of course, like trying to remove sugar, uh, artificial chemicals um, on top of that, like making sure that when you eat um, your body and your mind is in a calm place, that will, that will greatly help your gut. And the last thing too, that I've learned is, um, you know, there's all, there's all this new stuff now. Like there's, there's so many new companies. There's so many new, there's like an entire revolution that's happening in the food and beverage industry. It's happening very slow for sure. Um, but there's all these new companies now that are like creating truly healthy alternatives. Sometimes they're marketed as healthy alternatives, but they're not really, um, for things that people that that's not good. So for example, like I'm not affiliated with any of these companies, by the way. For example, like growing up, dude, I drank like a two liter Coke like every other day. And like throughout my journey, I stopped drinking soda. But there's this company, I'm not sure if it's available in Europe. It's called Olipop. I don't know if you've heard of them. Wow. O-L-I-P-O-P. And so basically like they've made soda, has no sugar, has no artificial chemicals, no preservatives. And inside of the soda, like inside of the drink, it has nine grams of plant fiber and it literally has like nine different supplements and plant-based ingredients that are very good for your gut microbiome. So like mm -hmm. there's things like that. There's like these different kinds of ice creams. There's all this stuff now that you can like eat a healthy diet and just enjoy life at the same time, you know? And so I think that's very, very, very important because for me, like ever since I got more serious about my food and my nutrition, that's actually where I started to actually enjoy food more because what I realized is when you're consuming like an American standard based diet, what's happening is you're actually numbing out your taste buds. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like a lot of people who never eat any like natural based foods, you'll give them a fruit and they'll be like, oh, this is disgusting. They're like, oh, I would never eat that. 
And a lot of the times it's because when you are consistently consuming processed foods, junk foods, it literally changes your taste buds in your tongue. And so like for me, what I realized is I'm actually able to literally taste food better the less unhealthy food that I eat and the more healthy food. And so it's very much like a paradox and it, it definitely helps you. So I think that's some of the biggest thing. And then also, if anybody like Googles my name um, and like types in gut microbiome after, I also have written different resources and, and made different videos about it too for people who want more information, if that makes sense. Okay. We'll, we'll link up to that. And I, I just quickly Googled Olipop as you were talking. And <laughs> I don't know, I, I, the website is amazing, but it, the I don't know whether it's available in the UK. It's in, it's in dollars, but I'm, I'm definitely, definitely interested in that for sure. Um, awesome stuff. And I think, you know, I want to come back to something that you said. I think it might have been on, on LinkedIn or um, mm. somewhere, somewhere I heard it about feeling like people feeling like they can't be themselves, right? Due to like paralyzing anxiety or, or whatever it is. And, and that really resonated with me. And that really resonates with the work that we do because, you know, when you're looking at the workplace, especially mental health in the workplace, one of the key things that we're trying to tackle with the clients that we work with, and, and one of the things that's been ignored for so long is, is the stigma in an organization, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. yes, you can implement this tool and this initiative and this training, but if employees don't feel like they can bring them their whole selves to work, then that's a big, a big issue, right? Because you're wearing that yeah. mask and, and everything else. So, you know, in your experience, if we if we feel like we can't be ourselves, like how problematic is that inside and outside of the workplace? Dude, it's it's a, it's a gateway problem that literally leads people to killing themselves. Mm. Um, either that or just like trying to drink themselves to death so that they can try to feel something in an attempt to remove the mask. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's a huge problem. And, and I think there's different levels to this. And I think um, like at least for me, I can speak on the angle of like social anxiety. Um, so I think a lot of the times too, like we look at it too simply, we think like, oh, this person's an introvert or this person's an extrovert. Um, when I think a lot of the times, like we don't really know. So for example, like if someone is sitting by themselves, right. In like a meeting room at a company, for example, you could say, for example, like, oh, uh, Shannon is sitting by herself because, oh, she's an introvert and she likes her quiet solitude alone time. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, let her do her work and do her thing. But then for all, you know, because you don't, you can't look into someone's mind and truly get the honest answers for all, you know, like maybe Shannon actually really wants to connect and actually really wants to be social, but she has social anxiety, which, mm -hmm. I think like the best way I can describe it, um, you know, for anyone, you know, who hasn't like seriously experienced it is it's basically like this automatic algorithm that I call it between your brain and your mind and your body that basically like influences and forces your behavior to not be yourself. Because there's like this thing in your brain that says, hey, if you are yourself, you're, you're over, like you're, you're dead, you're going to die. And your nervous system can like literally feel that. And I remember for me, like, I think the most dangerous part about this is like people who have social anxiety, a lot of times it's invisible. And a lot of the times they're actually trying, like they want to be social. So like, I remember as a kid, when I was growing up, dude, literally every single day, I tried not to be socially anxious. Literally every single day, I tried to be social. Every day I tried to put myself out there every single day. I would try to be myself and I could never do it. And like mm -hmm. the reason why it has nothing to do with like my willpower or nothing about my potential as a human being 
but it just simply has to do with like me not knowing and having the specialized knowledge of how to deal with a mental health problem like social anxiety, where there's multiple layers of it. There's different stages of it. And a lot of the times, like people are sort of told this like superficial advice because like they Google it, like, Oh, how do I be more confident or how do I stop being shy? And then it's like, you know, um, you know, email 10 people at your job um, and try to be social, try to go to a social event. Well, it's like what a lot of times those articles miss is that if the person is trying a different behavior and they're just sort of trying to do that for the first time, but they haven't dealt with like the root cause, which is their mind, then the same exact thing is going to happen again and again and again and again, and again, and again. And every time that happens again, that person literally loses their faith. They lose their hope. They're like, wow, I guess I'm just going to be a loner for the rest of my life. Or I guess there's just something wrong with me and I'm the different one and and I'm never going to be able to have friends or have a real best friend. And it's like this whole very sophisticated algorithm that robs people of their life. And, and, And like, I think a lot of the times too, like I was always told like different advice as a kid of like, oh, don't be shy. Um, Oh, just be yourself. Right. Well, it's like, yeah, of course. Like, I think a lot of us struggle with bringing our whole selves to work, like you said, but I also feel like the people who struggle with being like being yourself, that's a, uh, that's like a meta sort of cognition thing. Like you already are yourself. And so the people who truly struggle with being themselves, that's a major issue, whether it's social anxiety or whether it's some sort of uh, like trauma and like by people saying, oh, just be yourself. It's almost like, it's almost kind of like a joke to that person and they sort of internalize it. And what happens is when they say, oh, I'm going to be myself. It's actually like this socially uh, conditioned mask that they just switch on. Mm-hmm. And they sort of lock themselves like almost like a turtle shell. And they just put on this mask of what they've learned has been socially acceptable, even mm-hmm. if it's not themselves. And then what happens? They go home and then they're like, their brain is, is anxious. They're trying to, they're like trying to replay social scenarios. They're trying to get the stress out, maybe through some sort of an addiction or some sort of a vice. Then that leads to maybe substance abuse or at least to social isolation. And then that, that leads to much more serious mental health problems. Um, and so, yeah. And then, you know, real quick, the last thing that I would say is like, um, like my TEDx talk talks a lot about this. And in my talk, I say, like, I think that social anxiety is one of the biggest problems in the world out there because number one, it's hidden, it's invisible. And then number two, uh, you know, Harvard did, uh, a meta-analysis study and they basically found that in America, out of all of the mental health issues that exist, Social anxiety is the most correlated with substance abuse, social isolation, and suicide. And then you start to think about like, oh, what are the mainstream sort of like health solutions that are out there for people who experience this? I don't know about Europe, but at least here in America, it's uh, go see a therapist, go see a doctor, and then worst case scenario, call the suicide hotline. Dude, I was suicidal and I lived social anxiety. There's no way I was going to see a therapist. There's no way I'd see a doctor. There's no way I'd call anybody. And so then it's like, oh, well, then there's this, you know, and around the world, 800,000 people every single year commit suicide. And so I think there's a huge correlation there that is not being served currently because it's an invisible problem. And I know exactly like what it's like to be back in that mindset. And like, that's why, for example, like, 
I came out with a book. I came out with an audio book. I came out with like a course. I came out with a program. I've done over like 500, 600 podcast episodes because I believe that when it comes to social anxiety, for people who are really suffering and they literally cannot talk um, to other people. And again, like it's hard enough for the average person who experiences like a, a mental health issue to speak about it. It's a hundred thousand times worse for someone with a mental health issue who has social anxiety to speak about it. And so I think this is like a huge, huge, huge hidden problem that is often like disguised or camouflaged as different issues of like, oh, they're just shy or, oh, they're just an introvert or they're just quiet. And I think it's a, it's a huge problem that like literally affects millions of people. And so I'm trying to figure out like how to deal with this problem. I'm trying to figure out how to help as many people. I'm trying to try to like go back to like the mindset, the perspective that I had back then in 18 to try to like figure out like what kind of messages, what kind of content can I create for people that are still in like this spiraling down. And like, dude, I'm lucky, man. Like I, I, I hit rock bottom at 18. I, I still have problems. I still have different ups and downs, but I honestly, I, I feel like I'm so freaking lucky compared to other people who, um, you know, haven't uh, haven't been introduced or haven't been lucky enough or come across the right steps and actions to be able to do this because it's a it's a huge problem it's a huge 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 problem that makes everything worse man. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, that's definitely got me thinking a lot because you know social anxiety the way that a lot of people probably take social anxiety is as you've said right you're shy you're introverted some people might see that person as rude, right? You know, oh, mm. I'm out again for drinks or, oh, they've, you know, not said much to me this, you know, this in this meeting. And, and, and we just see it on the surface level, but then I'm also thinking as well, right? I was, I was socially anxious. Yeah. Mm. Um, after my dad's, after my dad's suicide. However, no one would have known that I was socially anxious because I was probably the opposite. What I mean by that mm. is I would say I overdid it. Like I was the the joker. I was the like, ah, oh, yeah, mm. the one in the party. But actually what people probably, people didn't know is like, I was really anxious at that time. But what mm. I would do is I would put on that mask mm. to show others that, you know, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine, but I would come home and I'd be exhausted. Sometimes I'd be in tears. Um, and you know, I talk a lot about that mask, you know, you'd, you'd wear that mask, you'd show, you go out with your work friends or friends, show them you're good. You'd come home, you take that mask off and I would just cry. I would just, you know, be in a really sort of horrible place. And I think, you know, it, it comes back to that feeling like you, we can't be ourselves or feeling like we have to hide a version of ourselves because people are going to judge us and everything else. So yeah, I think what you're saying and what you're doing is hugely, hugely important for sure. Thank you, man. And thank you for sharing your story. I think that's, I think what you said is so, so, so important to realize too, because when I was doing the research for my book and I was like interviewing different people, trying to get more data, I came across the same thing where people would tell me, you know what, Mark, I was never really shy. I was never really quiet, but I'm very socially anxious. And they could even be in like a quote unquote extrovert, yeah. but they would sort of create this mask of like always being the joker or like always being the guy who was good at sports or always being the guy who was, you know, good at, good at getting grades and, and sort of receiving validation for that. But then you get home or you step outside of that environment. And the next thing, you know, like, you're just like, Oh shit. Like that was all a facade. And you're like, wait, who, who am I? And like, I think when you do that, it starts to chip away at your, at your self-esteem. And I think a lot of the times too, like once you start to 
take down your self-esteem or if you've never had your self-esteem built up in a real strong foundational way, then you're just sort of like going every day and you're like trying to create these masks. You're trying to figure it out. And I know for me, one of the biggest things that, um, you know, started to get me to realize this was I would, um, you know, like I, I sort of like told you, I kind of grew up in the small town. Nobody looked like me. So I was like, okay, this is why I'm socially anxious. But then what I've learned is that when you experience those, those issues, those experiences come with you. Mm-hmm. unless you deal with them. And so all of a sudden I go to, I'm in Boston, very diverse place, a lot of different kinds of people. Um, and I go there and then all of a sudden I try, I experience the same failure. And then all of a sudden the same cycle in my brain happens again and again. And then you start to realize like, yeah, of course, like, of course it's very, very important to be in like a supportive, positive environment. And of course, when it comes to like healing and getting better, that's very important. But a lot of times you also start to realize that like, if I don't deal with like this internal self-esteem, my sense of confidence, my need to like pretend to be something that I'm not, uh, to, to sort of step into the truth of my life, uh, to deal with any like, you know, health issues in terms of like your brain, your body, your physical health, um, then I think it slowly starts to get better. and, And like, you know, if you had to ask me like, Hey, Mark, what are the top three things that people with social anxiety, like can, can sort of like do that would help. What I would say is based off like my own personal story and also based off the science, I think the three biggest like keys that can give you the highest ROI for social anxiety before you step out into like the world and like try to work on relationships. What I said about the gut microbiome and your neurotransmitters uh, number two, mindfulness meditation. I'm sure you guys are, you love meditation. Uh, and then number three, exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy to talk about any of those, um, you know, in detail more, but I think those three are the top three things that I've learned from, from what I've seen that, I, that has helped like the most amount of people uh, sort of tackle their social anxiety layer by layer and not just like sort of read like some random article and then try something and then either fail or feel better for like 30 seconds. And then the next day you're like, Oh, back at square one, you know, that's so debilitating. So for me, it's always about like the root cause. It's always about sort of trying to find these, uh, these tools that I think, um, will definitely help and help with releasing the root cause, so to speak. Yeah. I love that. And I was speaking to a guy, uh, his name's Lee. He's um, mental health lead a, a railway here in in the UK and he's doing some amazing work with the railway you know 4,000 employees and they've created a an ambassador group right so employees helping other employees and you know he was showing me some of the results they're getting and he mentioned what you've just spoken about and I'm a firm believer of that in that as well of you know people don't understand their colleagues um, however mm-hmm. the way they react at work can be caused by past experiences, right? So in this example, you know, he'd been through some past trauma and when he was in the workplace, stuff was happening at work, he would be reacting, he'd be feeling awful, he doesn't know why, and neither does his colleagues, right? And then the same thing again, where, you know, he'd have an employee that may have had some past experiences of violence. And then when violence happens at work, it triggers that they don't know why, their colleagues don't know why and everything else. And I think those those root issues, those underlying challenges that we we all experience in life that are unresolved, 
we bring them into the workplace yet people still feel like mental health is so simple that you can snap out of it or you can just get on with it right and it's like as you say once you know it it's far deeper than that it takes a lot more to kind of manage that um just quickly on on the question or on the points that you made mm-hmm. i've got loads of questions right but i'm talking yeah. <laughs> time because i want to ask you about ego everything right because i'm a firm believer in all this stuff but the exposure side, I'm sure some people mm. this might be like, what, is, what does he mean by exposure? Um, can you explain like what you mean and potentially some things you can do there? Yeah, so um, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, this clinical psychologist also here in Boston with me, uh, she basically said that there's four layers to social anxiety. The first layer is your physical appearance. So you'll feel socially anxious that people are judging your weight, uh, how your teeth are structured, your skin color, your face, your gender. There's so many different, your clothes. Um, like I know for me, like I grew up poor. And so I wore the same clothes to school every day and day. And then now knowing that gave me social anxiety about my appearance and my clothes. Um, then there's the second layer of social anxiety, which is you'll get socially anxious about your social skills. Some people have this, some people don't who have social anxiety, but a lot of the times you'll feel like you don't know how to introduce yourself. You don't know how to talk about yourself. You don't know how to like can sort of engage in conversational skills. It's always very awkward for you, or it seems like that. The third layer of social anxiety is you will feel socially anxious about your entire personality or like your character. And so like, you'll feel like at the root cause that there's something wrong with you, that other people are sort of better than you. Then there's the fourth layer, which, which usually, um, you know, everyone has usually a combination of these layers. Um, But the fourth layer is you'll get socially anxious about the signs of social anxiety itself. So it's sort of like this, like self-repeating feedback loop of like, you'll be in a conversation and then all of a sudden your brain is like, wait, can people see the fact that I'm sweating? Can people see my legs tapping frantically? Can they tell that I'm shy? Do they think that I'm shy? And so then it starts another like loop of social anxiety. And so what you can start to do is either with a professional or, or like I also have a course that walks people through this. You can basically expose yourself to each one of these layers systematically and incrementally. And so you have to kind of do a little bit of research. You have to do a little bit of homework and understand for you what the triggers are. So like I said, for me, um, one of the triggers was that I grew up poor. And so I'd wear the same clothes every day while other people around me were like buying designer clothes that their parents got them like different clothes every day. And so one of the things that I would do is I would literally wear the same clothes around the same people every single day to like literally condition my brain to be like, Hey, even if we're in the same clothes, we're not going to care what other people think. And like you do it step by step by step. It's not like all of a sudden you just jump in there. Um, Another one for me was uh, to start to deal with my approach anxiety and also my social skills. What I did was I, I like learned social skills. I learned that most of human communication isn't even verbal. A lot of it's your body language, your vocal tonality. And so like, I remember I took like a course on that. And then what I would do was I would go and try to talk to strangers. And like the way that I would do it specifically is I wouldn't just like go there and be like, Hey, how are you? Um, what I would do is I'd sort of write it down in my journal and sort of try to self-challenge myself and be like, Hey, Mark, today go outside and ask five random people what the time is. 
And so mm-hmm. I'd go outside and I'd just ask people like, Hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. Like, uh, do you have the time on you? And they're like, yeah, it's eight 34. It's whatever. And I'd be like, okay, thank you so much. And so doing that incrementally. And then I would say, Hey, um, uh, then my next challenge would be, Hey, ask five people what the time is. And then also like how to get directions to somewhere that I kind of already knew, but I just wanted to like ask them. And so a lot of times if you approach it from that perspective and you go with just like the logical route, and you're just beginning to tackle social anxiety for the first time, this can like slowly start to help your brain. And like what happens is if you are someone like me who was shy their entire life, always had severe social anxiety, and you start to do this, the first time you do it, your brain is literally going to like act as if you're about to die. Mm-hmm. But then what happens is as you can start to do it, and there's different strategies that I talk about it that make it easier that people can look up. But what starts to happen is that when you actually do this and you do it successfully and like the person gives you the time and they're like, yeah, have a great day. What actually starts to happen is that your brain actually starts to experience a positive dopaminergic reward release that is supposed to happen like all throughout your life as a kid of like when someone compliments you, when someone communicates with you, your brain rewards you for that. All of a sudden, once you start challenging yourself and you get good results and your brain understands like, oh, we can talk to people and they're not going to judge us. They're not going to kill us. It actually really, really helps to start to positively reinforce. And so, you know, for the sake of time, I won't go down, but like all these layers that I mentioned, there's different strategies, different ways for each person that they can do. And if you do that incrementally alongside doing deeper work, like focusing on your brain, like the state of your brain health, uh, things like meditation, start to manage your mind. Those three things, man, it's like, Again, there's nothing works for everybody. There's no such thing as a magic fix or anything, but those three, I think, are the most reliable in terms of the results for the amount of people that they've gone for. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's why I touched on the exposure side of it as well, because I think, you know, in my experience, it is that, you know, your mind's a muscle, right? You've got to, you've got to put it to work, Mm. but you've got to push it because if you don't, then it falls into that comfort zone and, you know, Mm comes quite easy to not do it i did i did a i did a socially anxious a social anxiety challenge with a friend of mine called josh morris he was someone who's extremely socially anxious and we did like the high five random strangers right and then we did like right paul you gotta go and do 100 oh like 100 like 10 star jumps in like the middle of like trafalgar square (laughs) right and and then you know the other one was like um you know i need you to go and say hello to people and and all of that was fine. And then there was a challenge he gave me, which I really struggled with, which was you've got to block people. So in other words, in <laughs> in York, right, people are like really walking fast to get somewhere. And what he would do is he'd like stand in front of them and they'd look at him and then they'd move right and he'd move right. And oh, then yeah. move left and he'd move left, right? And he could just do it naturally and they'd be like joking with him, right? And then when I did it, <laughs> I was so awkward because I have a real, I'm getting better, but I have a real um challenge of confrontation right so like the high five like how are you star jumps everyone laughing at you was fine but like the blocking someone my mind like they're gonna get annoyed they're gonna confront you they're gonna hate you and then and then so i've struggled to do it right but i think it's such a good way of exposing yourself <laughs> to that because like yeah, as you just said like when your mind kicks in it's like danger 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 don't do that right and um yeah, I still found it hard and I, I haven't done it since, right? But, <laughs> but That's yeah, crazy, but, man. <laughs> um, but it's the same with like, you say like public speaking, you know, think about the first time you got in a car, how anxious you were, how oh nervous you were. 
and then you just get in the car and you don't even know where you're going and you just drive naturally right i think it's so important that exposure side of of anxiety i think it's something that's not spoken about a lot um i've got so much from today and i've got so many more questions but i wanted to 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 finish on on one question um and this is a question that is is a question that challenges me still sometimes as well you know as a company we focus on technology and, and trying to use tech for good but at the same time mm. how can we use how can we use technology to to improve mental health now we still take a very personal approach from like personal experience and sessions and everything else but you know we're always trying to figure out okay how do we use tech to try and create more of a more support for more people right um mm. now Technology is also that double-edged sword. Um, So firstly, when it comes to specifically social anxiety, what's the downsides of technology? And then Mm. the second part of that question is, how do you think technology can help people that might be feeling anxious as well? Yeah, so I think the bad side, um, I think this depends on whether you are a a male or female. And I'll say why, because um, from what I've understood, a lot of times like males with social anxiety, they will want to like escape more and not like, rather than like try to be social, they would rather escape more. And so then the problem when it comes to technology is more of like, uh, like addiction to like video games and pornography. Whereas for girls, it's more social media. Um, and so I think a lot of the times, and again, it could be an issue for either or either group, but generally speaking, I think this is true. Um, a lot of the times, like, with men, you'll see like kind of more avoidance, shy, uh, socially anxious behaviors with women who have social anxiety, you'll often experience like a more like obsessive, um, kind of, um, perspective to where a lot of the times, like they're trying to like replay what like different, uh, like mental simulations on how, like what they think people will perceive them or like how this person's going to take it. And then if you combine that with social media and then Instagram, and then it becomes like this entire matrix of like looking at it every three seconds to distract Mm -hmm. yourself. And then it's like this whole extrapolation. And so it could be a huge trigger for sure, uh, with social anxiety. Um, So I think that's the bad part. I think the good part though is, you know, I think to piggyback to like what I said of like people with social anxiety who are like a rock bottom, a lot of times they don't seek solutions that are mainstream in society that are often always social that have to do with talking to someone. I think there's going to be a real, real opportunity for that, whether it's a, it's an app or it's a company or someone where they're like, like, Hey, like you can literally download this app and like, we'll literally take you step-by-step step on how to like not be shy or not how to be socially anxious and walk you through. And I think the power uh, through that is very powerful. I also have a friend of mine, his name is Dan Chabelle. He's a New York times bestselling author. He runs workplace intelligence, a lot of like work company, HR stuff. And he told me that one of the data surveys that he did, it's shown that people are more comfortable to speak about their mental health to technology than to another person. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a huge, huge area of there of like people who are really, whether they have social anxiety or they have some sort of social isolation, or there's like a set of social mental health diseases and issues. I think for the start to bridge like that gap to then get them in front of a person for them to like kind of guide and help themselves I think that part is going to be great for technology because they're by themselves and that's what they're most comfortable in. And so I'm not sure what that's going to look like, 
But um, I think that's the real, real positive and advantage of it, of like trying to reach people who don't want to talk to anybody at, at the beginning to bridge that gap over and then get them, you know, to get more personalized help, which you need a person, you know, you need that. So I think that's huge. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's something that we see a lot as well is it's that technology can be that, that stepping stone to then, as you say, getting that face-to-face connection, support, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Really appreciate your time today. Um, everything that you said, Mark, has definitely resonated. So, Mark, where can everyone find out a little bit more about you as well? Yeah, man. So the best place for people to check out everything and to get in contact with me easily is if people go to my website, uh, Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. And there should be like an email box. And if they put that email, I have this email newsletter where every week I send out like two, three purely educational articles all about like social anxiety, shyness, introversion, mental health. And if people get those emails, they can just respond directly to the email and then they'll automatically go to me. So that's the best place for people to check out my work and like my podcast and all that stuff is linked through there. So that's the best spot and people can respond through the email. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time out today. I really appreciate it and lovely to connect as well. Dude, you're awesome. Great job on the platform. I continue to to see you guys become more and more successful and more and more out there and helping more and more people. And I hope that people really see uh, if they haven't already, like the real value in like your platform and like being able to work with you at like an organizational company level, because dude, this is, this is what needs to happen in the world. This needs to happen. And so I'm glad that you're on the front lines trying to make this happen and, and, and being a great host too, man. I appreciate it. This is lit. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.